Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of Sex on the Table, the podcast aimed at creating a blueprint for healthy relationships. I'm your host, Maranda Johnson, marriage and family therapist, and joining me today is marriage and family therapist and sex therapist, Emily Nappy. In this episode, we're going to explore the world of consensual non-monogamy, specifically polyamory. to be talking about polyamory um and emily she practices polyamory but we also have i don't know if you have any clients that practice that but i do as well so we're just going to talk about it and let the world know what it is yeah i'm definitely going to do my best to balance my personal feelings about polyamory with my kind of more professional and theoretical feelings about polyamory right okay definitely (laughs) feel free to address it either way okay so let's get into it so emily what is polyamory Oh, boy. you got to start with the biggest question. I know. (laughs) Polyamory, if we're going to break it down, means multiple. That's poly. And amor is the root of love. So multiple loves. Okay. And that's how you can distinguish all the language and the wording around polyamory, polygamy, um, non-monogamy. All of these are different semantic terms. So polyamory is just having many loves. And that can be really general. That can be any sort of love or intimacy. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a sexual or romantic relationship. Um, A lot of people define it in different ways. So what is the difference between polyamory and polygamy? Right, right. We were kind of touching on this earlier. So polygamy has to do with marriage. Um, So the root of that word is about marriage, and that was actually a word developed for people who chose to have multiple marriage partners for religious purposes. Um, And there are many religions that uh, do believe in multiple partners. Polygamy tends to describe one male and many females, if we're going to be binary with it. Um, Whereas polyamory does not have any kind of like gendered background to it. So polygamy is a lot more about the legal aspects and um, marriage. Okay. So I feel like it's definitely something that's growing, especially in the uh, millennial generation. I feel like all millennials are like, fuck monogamy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do what we want. So we're here to talk about, you know, getting into it, talking about the blueprint for love. And if this is something that you're interested in. Yeah. I think, you know, in terms of your point of it being popular with millennials, I think similarly to a lot of other revolutionary ideas being popular with millennials. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of anti-capitalist movements and anti-structural movements. Uh, Polygamy, or sorry, not polygamy, polyamory does the same thing. It says this system that we've been told is the only way to do it might not be the only way. And I don't think that that's new to our generation, but I think it is a very youth-led kind of feeling, this idea of overthrowing the system, of taking away binary. It's not just one man and one woman married forever. I'm also wondering if it has, like, some connection to that kind of 
war on the family thing that happened with gay marriage getting legalized, okay. this idea of really conservative people spouting one man, one woman, that's what marriage is. Right. And that caused a lot of young people to be like, wait, is that what marriage is? If, you know, gayness and queerness can be okay, then maybe it's not just one and one. Right. Okay. I never even connected that. So that's really cool. So if I wanted to get into polyamory, like where do you even start? <laughs> um, it's actually way easier than you thought. So a lot of people labeled me, uh, has anyone ever told you about serial monogamy? Yep. Right? Like the <laughs> yep. idea that you go from one relationship to the next to the next to okay. the next. I kept doing that and I was like, wow, it's just like, I'm with someone and then I meet someone new and they're also interesting and amazing and wonderful and sexy and I want them in my life. But then my first partner is not okay with me building a new relationship so I have to end one and start the next. But then I was like, what if I didn't have to end the other one? What if I could just see both people and care about them in different ways and build different relationships with them and everybody would be okay with it? And it really comes down to being completely honest and only moving forward when everybody feels comfortable and everybody knows what's going on. So it's kind of like just dating a bunch of people in a row, except that you can do it all at once. You know, you can have one date on Monday and one date on Friday with the different people. Okay, sounds fun. So you would say that the core values or like the basis of polyamory is honesty. Oh, absolutely. Okay. There, There's still ways to cheat and lie and break your partner's trust okay. in polyamory. Like, it just, it depends by which partnership, like, what boundaries you set. But for some people, it's like, oh, I want to know everything. And some people, it's like, I don't really want to know everything, but I want to know when you're going out. Gotcha. Right? So there's different levels of honesty that you set up. And if that doesn't happen at the very beginning of deciding to be poly with a partner, it's not going to make everybody feel good because there's going to be boundaries that are crossed if you didn't set those rules beforehand. Okay. I know a lot of times in class, like learning um, as clinicians, they talk about having our couples establish different contracts, whether it be verbal or like written. Mm -hmm. Some couples like to send emails to their partner. So do you guys do anything like that? Absolutely. And it depends on your personality. Like some people are going to you know, come into a relationship having been poly before and they know what works for them and what doesn't work for them. Whereas other people might be totally new to this idea. And that's a really important thing when you're a solo poly person who's trying to partner with people who may have not been poly before, may not have experienced it because each time setting those boundaries is going to look different. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never personally like written them out, but I always have like a very long conversation about every possible scenario. So what happens if I I see you the day after I see this person? Mm -hmm. Um, How much do you want to know about sexual things? How much do you want to know about romantic things? Because for some people, it hurts more to hear about romance. And for some people, it hurts more to hear about sex. And Mm -hmm. that's just like, that's a personal thing. So yes, I think contracting is a great thing to do. And if it makes people feel more stable and comfortable, then it should be done in writing, but I don't think that um, everybody does it that way. Okay, so what does, you said like that first conversation, what does that even look like? What does it sound like? Is it heavy? Is it just up to the two people? So it really, um, no, it's not heavy. It should be really honest and freeing and 
like go over everything. So here's my thought is that I mentioned something earlier like solo polyamory versus like a couple deciding to become polyamorous as a unit. Okay. Right? So someone who is solo poly chooses to identify as poly themselves and whenever they go out in the world, like that's what they are. And that's how I identify and it's taken me a while to realize that because some of my first poly experiences were I was already dating one person and we decided we both wanted to also see other people okay and that's a lot harder similar to like what we talk about about blended families because you're used to rules being one way right and then you have to shift them gotcha to be something else so that conversation can be a lot harder than like some I'll do it on the first date. Like I'll go on a first date with somebody and be like, "Hi, just so you know, I have several partners in this state, several partners in another state. I love them all. Okay. They're very important. We all relate in different ways. Some sexual, some non-sexual. And I hope you're okay with that because I love to talk about them." Okay. So like, what if they have never? Because <laughs> I'm just thinking of a situation where like they've never really explored polyamory or even heard of it. Like I would want to get up from the table and run at that point (laughs) by hearing all of that like what yeah I tend people tend to really understand when I say like I chose these people and these partners because I am impressed by them I respect them I think highly of them and I want them in my life in every type of way that they can be um so they tend to be able to emotively respond. The only time I ever had a really bad response was this guy basically was like, honestly, I don't have enough self-esteem to be able to do that. He's All like, right, I know honesty. that about myself, yeah. and I would, I would get too jealous, he said. And I was like, well, thank you for letting me know so we don't have to go through all that drama. Right. Okay, so with the whole jealousy idea, I have a, cl- a client that um, practices polyamory, and she explained it to me, like, in the most beautiful way of just saying, like, um, you know, loyal, right? It's, like, a lot of this, that like, rhetoric that we get fed. Like, that's what love is. It's yeah. loyalty, and it's only this person. So it, it is really uncomfortable when you first start out to even say here's what happened. Or you'll be like, I went on a date. And then in your head, you're like, I don't want to tell them I had sex. But you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. You have to say, I need you to know that we did have sex and I want us to talk about it if there's something you need to talk about, you know? And Mm -hmm. it depends on your partner if they're going to be okay with that or not. And if that doesn't happen, omission can feel like lying, right? And that... And that's another one of those things that's that's really damaging. Um, let's see. Five. <laughs> you can give me three or four. Yeah. I guess the next thing is just committing to being straight up with other people. Like, like I said, I bring it up on the first date. I'm not going to go on a couple dates with somebody right. and then be like, oh, just so you know. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's that commitment to being able to label it and feel comfortable in it whether you're labeling yourself as solo polyamorous Mm -hmm. or saying like my partner and I practice this like are you okay with that because it's an invitation like you can't force anybody to be okay with your polyamory or you can't force anybody to be chill with getting into your open relationship you know it it really needs to be an invitation and a lot of times that invitation comes with education like what you're saying with me like you wouldn't even know where to start sometimes. Like, I might go on a date with somebody who has no idea. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and we talked earlier 
for the podcast about different types of polyamory. So you want to tell me a few or like the most common ones? Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a really phenomenal flow chart um, that kind of covers how all the different types of polyamory and non-monogamy can intersect. Um, because not all non-monogamy is polyamorous because it doesn't have to involve love. Gotcha. So kind of we've touched on a lot of these before. You can have... Um, people who are married and committed but choose to have sexual liaisons on the side Mm -hmm. and their boundary says you can do whatever you want sexually as long as it doesn't become romantic gotcha then there are people who say the opposite you know you can do whatever you want love as many people as you want but have sex only with me or there's people who are like okay we're together when we're together but when you're on business trips you can do whatever you want gotcha um that one's called the hundred mile rule it's interesting okay yeah (laughs) Uh, so then you have things like okay you can see other people but I'm not gonna see other people or you have people who swing as a couple they're Mm -hmm. a couple and they hook up with other couples only to try to maintain some of those um within couple boundaries right to keep the boundary around their own system safe okay they do everything together um, then you have people who tell each other everything. That's the kind of po- polyamory that I practice. So okay. everything that happens, every new partner that I have, I inform my other partners what's happening. Uh, on the opposite end of that, you have people who do like a don't ask, don't tell kind of like, oh, you had a great night. Great. I'm so happy for you. And now um, you're here with me. Right? Do you think that that is like, why don't you practice that? Do you think that can lead to like you know, jealousy and kind of the uglier sides of things? Or do you think that it's just depending on the person? I think um, some people believe they're better at compartmentalizing than others. And I think that that has, for me, it hasn't worked because I'm not very good at shoving things down. Gotcha. I'm not very good at, like, keeping secrets or not sharing things I'm excited about, Mm -hmm. especially. And so I actually make it a point that people know that I love to talk about my people because I think they're so interesting and and just magical but so for me it doesn't work just because like personally I just love to talk about stuff I like to bounce (laughs) ideas off people and share stuff but if you're more of like a secretive kind of stoic person you might not want to share everything and if your partner has like a really deep level of trust for you that can be totally fine Mm -hmm. you know but that does require your partnership to have a lot of trust already okay so if you were like a serial monogamist like Emily is, mm-hmm. or was, um, and you're kind of battling with the idea of maybe trying polyamory or fully committing to just monogamy, like what would you say for somebody that's internally conflicted like that? I would say to think about your dearest friendships mm-hmm. and all the crushes that you would have acted on, but you were in a relationship or you were trying to be loyal or you didn't want to be seeing more than one person at once, even if it wasn't like a committed relationship, right? Like Mm -hmm. even if you were just casually dating, but you didn't want them to get the wrong idea or something like that. And, And these missed opportunities, like kind of like the Craigslist, like missed connections, (laughs) right? Yes, okay. Think about these people that inspired you and made you feel passionate and you just like wanted them but you couldn't act and then be like is the system holding me back or are my own personal morals holding me back like what is it that makes this not okay for me because if the question is like oh well my partner just wasn't okay with it 
then maybe polyamory might be for you and right. not for your partner. Okay. But if it's like, no, I think that's wrong, mm-hmm. you know, that's your own, you know, feeling to have. And that has to do with what we think about marriage from our upbringing and everything like that. So, you know, determining whether it's a personal, you know, morality thing or if it's like a systemic thing that we've been taught, right? Like right. what you said, when I said that, you were like, oh, taught. I never even thought yeah. that jealousy could yeah. have been learned. But if you start to think about it that way and then you start to be like, oh, maybe. You know what got me, though? Yeah. <laughs> my teacher my teacher in senior year of my undergraduate degree, it was Advanced Gender and Feminist Theory. Oh, okay. And she literally wrote the book on non-monogamy. Oh, wow. So it's called Beyond Monogamy, and okay. her name is Mimi Shippers. Check it out, guys. Phenomenal. Shout out to Mimi. I like that she, She's <laughs> phenomenal. The whole book, she's like, fuck this. <laughs> okay. What she said that blew my mind, the one statement that she said, she was like, look, in here we talk about all sorts of sexual and romantic interests and power balances, people who like to have sex, people who don't like to have sex, people who like to have sex with women or men or non-binary people or they like toys or they don't like toys or they like kink or anything. But what if I told you that my kink is having sex with more than one person at a time? Or, you know, Mind blown. that's just my preference. Yeah. You know, she's like, some people prefer to be on top. Some people prefer to be on bottom. I prefer multiple people. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, it can just be a preference. It can just be a choice. Like, it's only as weird as kink and queerness. And right. it's just as weird as everything else. It's breaking that system, but it's not unheard of. It's not mind-blowing you know a lot of people put things like threesomes and orgies and and hookup culture up on a pedestal and this is just a way of doing that honestly and giving it a name and setting boundaries about it right right like this is hookup culture at its finest Mm -hmm. right (laughs) everybody (laughs) knows what's going on yeah right nobody's getting blindsided or hurt or ghosted it's like we all know what's happening and everybody's happy. Yeah. So it was just the thought for me that it could be a preference. It didn't have to be like a whole lifestyle change. It was just like, I just like more than one person at a time. Right. A lot of people who I talk to who polyamory works really well for them say that the thing that made it the best was that they could keep up with that many people at a time. They just wanted more attention, more Uh, stimulation whether that's intellectual or emotional and they were able to get that with more than one person because they felt like they were always too much for one person gotcha I've heard that before right like you've heard like oh I'm too emotional I'm too this I'm too that and what if you could go somewhere else where you know you had both yeah sometimes it's not you being too emotional the person can't handle those emotions and it's kind of silly that we expect our monogamous you know boyfriends girlfriends lovers to literally be therapist, parent, lover, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. friend, they have to fill all of these roles. Right. That's right? hard. Yeah. And so it's the idea of like, well, okay, you know, I have my own therapist, first of all. Yeah. I have <laughs> you, who's my partner, but then I have friends and other partners who I can be close enough to that I'm not burnt out by the time I get to you. Yeah, that's nice. I'm not... Yeah. I'm not grumpy and not wanting to listen to how your day was because somebody else already listened to how my day was and it's like this cycle of supporting each other it's this support system but it's all you know made it's like a found family you built your own family of people 
Do you ever feel like it gets complicated? Because I'm imagining in my head like a diagram, right? So we have you and your partner, and your partner has a partner, and then that partner may have a partner, and then you may have another partner. So now it's just getting into this like really nice web, and I'm like mind blown. So there's language for that in okay. the poly world, and it's called a polycule. Okay, love it. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna so look that up too. Polycule is like a Venn diagram of like who's dating whom. Okay, right. So in a, here in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. in West Philly, there's mm-hmm. like a huge queer community. Right. Okay. And so I went on a date with a girl and she was telling me, okay, so your partner is your paramour, right? You've heard that word before, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Like the band. Okay. Your partner is your paramour. They're your lover. Mm-hmm. Their partner, who's not your partner, right, is your metamor. Okay. Okay. That person's partner, mm-hmm. who's not your partner's partner or your partner, is your tetramor. Gotcha. So there's okay. like degrees of removedness gotcha that only tends to happen in like a really densely populated area of people practicing polyamory widely so like what you were saying like millennials i say queer folks practice a lot more polyamory Mm -hmm. so in a space like west philadelphia where like literally every house is filled with people who are practicing this or not you get a lot of that like one person can show up to a party and like 10 people that are in their polycule will just also happen to be there. That doesn't happen as much when it's like a spread out kind of environment. Okay. Um, and it depends on what kind of polyamory you're practicing, whether hanging out with those people is something you do regularly That was going to be my question. Okay. Right. So for me... In, when I was living in New Orleans, it was totally normal for me to go to a place and invite multiple of my partners. Mm-hmm. That's not the way that it is here or the way that it is with everybody. Like, a lot of people are just kind of like, nope, you go over there and you do right. your thing, and then we do our thing together. So what happens when you're at this house party and you said polycule is the name? Okay, so you're, 10 of your polycule is there, and, like, you guys have, you may have, like, the um, completely honest, Aspect, or you may have do not do don't tell. So, how does that work out in that kind of situation? Um, you know, usually pretty well. People okay. have a lot of compassion and understanding. Um, I think the question is always like, who are you going to go home with? Oh, you okay. know, okay. So, like, <laughs> it's like we can all hang out and have a great time, and the likelihood is that you probably have interests in common, right? Yeah. Like, if two people love the same person, they probably have something in common. Mm-hmm. So that, that makes it really helpful, and usually people are willing to be really kind and polite and make an attempt to get to know each other, but it it's also, sometimes like the joke is like, well, I came here with you, but like, I'm going to hang with you, and for that to be okay, and for yeah. that open and honest communication to be okay, it comes with a lot of trust yeah. and a lot of... I think to your point about insecurities, polyamory is also deeply about reassuring Mm -hmm. your partner about their importance, their uniqueness, how they are special to you, and what their impact on your life is that's different than your other partners. Yeah. Right? So you don't want to date two people that give you exactly the same thing. Yeah. That's going to make it really complicated. Right. Okay. Yeah. You want to date two, like, really, really, really different people, like an artist and a scientist, Mm -hmm. like this and that, you know, like people that provide different aspects and opinions on your life like multiple perspectives <laughs> that's like the paper we wrote though yeah that was crazy. like the paper we wrote tired of hearing that word multiple perspectives no, but i think that that's such yeah. a good point is that like one person will notice things about me that another person you know never picked up on right or one person knows how to 
fulfill my needs or make me feel better in one way that another person didn't innately know, you mm-hmm. know, and and I feel that way about my partners as well. Okay, so based off what I'm just learning right here, I think that my favorite aspect of it is just like the complete transparency most of the time. I really and that's nice, that. yeah. It definitely sounds like an evolved way of thinking or like break you know, I'm all about breaking societal norms. Yeah, that's so, exactly yep. what it is. Mm-hmm. It's breaking these norms that, that, that jealousy is the only way you can feel when right. your partner is drawn to somebody else. Yeah. But like I said, it, it is difficult in the beginning. It's definitely difficult to make those cognitive shifts and it does involve a lot of like C B T type stuff where mm-hmm. you're like Okay, I'm feeling jealous. Mm-hmm. How can I feel compersion? Am I happy for them? Yes. Oh, okay. I am happy for them. Right? So it does involve a lot of, like, talking to yourself, like, restructuring, saying right. stuff out loud. Like, I've been practicing polyamory for at least three and a half years now. Mm-hmm. And I still will sit down with my partner and be like, I'm really glad that you told me that. But it makes me a little, like, achy on the inside. I'm worried that you know, you'll like this person more than me. And, I, you know, I just have to be vulnerable and say that. And, like, yeah. maybe for me as a therapist, that's, like, easier, easier definitely. now, you know, that I have the training to use my words mm-hmm. like that. So it does involve a lot of work, and you need to be able to express some of those really vulnerable, scary, like you said, primary emotions, the things that you're feeling underneath. So yeah. instead of just being like, oh, I'm glad you had a great time. You <laughs> That's know, me. Like, instead mm. of being passive-aggressive, <laughs> yeah. I have to sit there and open myself up and be vulnerable, and it always creates a better result. Okay. That sounds like it also draws you closer to the person. Absolutely. So whether you're a serial monogamist or you're a non-monogamist or you're interested in polyamory, I think that we can all um, learn that maybe just being honest and taking these different skills from polyamory, like communication, full transparency, um, digging deeper to see what's underneath those feelings can benefit all of us in relationships and create a healthier relationship for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that, that that's applicable to, you know, all relationships. Even the idea of letting your partner recharge somewhere else, Mm -hmm. even if it's not polyamory, even if it's, okay, you need one day with your girls every week because I can't deal with this, you know? Just being okay with that because a lot of times when people get into a monogamous thing, they, like, move in together. They spend 24 hours a day together. They try to fill every possible need that their partner has, and that can cause burnout. So even if you're not practicing polyamory or non-monogamy, just allowing your partner to get some of their intimacy elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a really important thing, too. Okay. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about your personal experience as well as, like, educating us all together. Um, Do you have any closing remarks? Oh, thank you so much. Um, I'm really excited to be a part of this. I love talking about polyamory. It's actually been really interesting because I came to it late in college, and, and I've already tried many different ways of doing it. So I guess my closing remark is, you know, don't be scared and and be honest about what you're trying to get out of it um, with your partner or, you know, from yourself. You know, a lot of self-focus can come out of having to really know yourself and Mm -hmm. market yourself and stuff like that. So I think that that's uh, all I have to say about that. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you for all your questions. No problem. In the next episode, we're going to continue to create a blueprint for healthy millennial relationships. Thank you for listening to us and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at underscore sex on the table.